Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Hi, it's Aliza with Leave Your Mark Podcast, and I'm here with the amazing Marjorie Gubelman, who is a friend. We're sitting in her magnificent, I think this is your dining room? Correct. Well, it's gorgeous. Marjorie, I'm so happy to see you, and thank you so much for being on the podcast because you have an incredible story. You are a mom. Yes, I am. You're a single mom. Yes, I am. And... More than past your midlife, I would say, right? You, you can de- say it. I just turned 50. You just, you look amazing. Well, thank you. You decided to completely change gears and go in a totally different career path. But I want to back up from the beginning before we go there and just talk a little bit about your start. Like, where'd you go to school? Where'd you grow up? Like, tell us a little bit about Marjorie. Well, I was actually born in New York. So I'm technically a New Yorker, but I didn't live here. I moved to England when I was two. Then I moved to Palm Beach when I was 12. I've moved around a lot. I went to boarding school in Maryland for high school. And then I went to college in New Hampshire in a town called Hanneker, New Hampshire, for my freshman year of college. And when I got there, all of my fellow classmates were into the Grateful Dead. And this is interesting because it plays a part into how I became a DJ. I wore all black. I had rubber bracelets like Madonna. <laughs> I would go to New York and go to nightclubs. I actually got my hair blow dried. I was very different. And they had a radio station there. And I thought, I need to get on that radio station if I'm going to make it through living in this middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, with people in their tie-dye shirts and patchouli perfume wafting. (laughs) And I went down into the radio station and I inquired how to become a DJ. And I passed this broadcasting test. And I was a terrible student, terrible my whole life. And I did pass it. I had to just sort of do all these things I can't even remember, but I passed. And they said, you have a show. I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, they're like, you need a name. This is 1987. Just to give you some context, I was a freshman, so I was 18. And I said, okay, my name is Mad March. Where did you get that from? DJs back then, I don't know, maybe even now, but it's it's your name, a version of your name. But I just came up with it then, Mad March. And, I mean, now people that don't get it, I think it means, are you angry? And I'm like, no, crazy. Because um, <laughs> I was and still am crazy. Um, but the name was from then. So it started way back then in 1987. And I had a show once a week on Thursdays from three to six. I was in a basement of a college radio station playing my songs, talking to myself, into a microphone, cracking jokes to myself, playing 
Madonna or whatever my music was. And I have to say that even the deadheads listened to my channel. So you began to have a reputation on campus then? I did. People were like, oh my God, Mad Marge is on. It was good. It felt good. And I loved it. And I just even being alone in this dirty basement on the radio playing my tunes made me extremely happy. So you graduate. So actually I left that school, not that school, but they had a campus in England. So I went back to England again. I was allegedly going to go for a semester. I ended up graduating over there. Then I was living in London. I worked in London for four years. And then I moved to New York, 1995. Worked other jobs. I worked at Amphar. I got married. I got divorced. Fast forward, our mutual, very kind friend that actually introduced you and I, Mickey Boardman. Yes. We were sitting here at this table in this dining room one Sunday lunch and discussing these young girl DJs that are all over. And when I say young, they could be my child. I mean, they're extremely young. And I sort of said, well, Mickey, you know, it's funny. I was a DJ in college. He's like, oh, girl, you are going to DJ my birthday party. And I was like, Mickey, you know, it's been 25 years or however many. I'm terrible at math. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this is ridiculous. Of course, I'm not doing that. And he was like, do you think they know? They have an iPod practically. Just wear one of your fancy dresses. I'll have a man there to help you. I was like, Mickey, 15 minutes. I'll just do it 15 minutes. And he's like, fine. 15 minutes is fine. And then I went there. And, you know, as you know, we have a lot of common friends. And people are like, is Marjorie Kubelman the DJ? Oh, my God. What is happening? And what was interesting is everyone was rooting for me. I could feel they wanted me to succeed, which was a great feeling because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I got there and this very nice man who called me, ma'am, this ma'am, may I help you? And I said, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, I haven't done this in a hundred years. And I think this is the part where I have to sort of check myself because I made fun of people my entire life that would bang on and on and on. Oh, when you do what you love and it feels right, it's not work. And I'd be like, oh, throw up. That is just not true. And these women particularly banging on about it are so lame. And all of their like, you know, media train pitch that comes out just sounds so phony baloney. And it happened to me. I want you to know that the 15 minutes turned into three hours. I just came alive and I just had all these feelings like, wow, I really love this. And that's how it started. And that night in 2012 was when it all started and Mad Marge came back again. (laughs) So Mickey, well done. Yeah, Mickey, full props. (laughs) Well done. He doesn't take any ownership and I always give him credit, but he's so sweet. He always doesn't want to own it. But if it wasn't for him, I would not be having the second life. He's such a Libra. He's such a Libra. Is that a Libra thing? I, I think it is. I well, think he'd it be is. happy to you saying an astrology moment because he lives for that. I know. Same. Yeah. Okay. So you had sort of pre-training, but then you sort of decided to take it seriously. And you were like, I'm going to go to school for this. Yes. And I have to say, I think that's because of my age. So the phone rang, you know, probably within days of that. The word got out. Not, I think it was people were in shock. That, uh, you know, the this, this stereotype of what you would put Marjorie in was not one who would be on the decks playing big DJ. So the phone was ringing with jobs that, frankly, I needed and I wanted. But because I was older, I was like, you know, I just can't do this if I don't know what I'm doing properly. And I said, no. Hold on. I have a question, though. Yes. But you lasted three hours at Mickey's party. So yes. you you knew how to technically do it. Yes, but I was winging it. And I mean, I've also been a good faker. So, I, you know, I faked it enough to 
you know, get through the night. Plus, I had that man standing there. So if anything was off, I could give him a look and he'd come over and flick a switch. Okay, you know, fair. I mean, I had a helper. Fair. fair. You know, having a the man behind the woman, you know, is different than the woman just standing there all alone, standing, looking over the crowd. Especially when someone's paying you to do it. Correct. And I take my reputation very seriously. And I think in life, all you have is your word and your reputation. And I did not want to be a fraud. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to give this a whirl, I want to go to school and learn how to do it properly and get up to date. You know, I'd been since 1987. So a friend of mine at the time was running Warner Music and I called him up and I said, please, I need to ask you a question, but don't laugh. And just answer my question. I'm like, but I have to go to DJ school. And he was like, I'm not laughing, but I have so many questions. I'm like, nope, just tell me where to go. And he's like, okay, there's only one. And it's called Scratch Academy. So I enlisted and I went to Scratch Academy. I think it was a total of about six months that time. And I didn't tell anyone. I told one friend, which is important because you and I have discussed before doubting yourself or Mm -hmm. because I didn't think it was real. I thought this might be a phase, a blip. If I don't tell anyone, then it doesn't matter if it goes away. No one will know. It'll be that little thing that I just did at Mickey's birthday and no one knows that I tried to really learn it. Yep. So I didn't tell anyone. I went to school. My classmates were, you know, in their teens. They thought I was ridiculous, I'm sure. Did anyone say anything to you like, what are you doing here? Was anyone rude? No, no one was rude. Actually, they were all really nice. I think they looked at me in a strange way. But then at the end, we all became friends, which was kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, our musical tastes were varied. You know, they were sort of playing house music and EDM and techno. And I'm there with my Madonna, you know, 30 years later. And I'm sure they're like, what's that mom doing? I just, you know, I, I look different than them. But then at least I knew what I was doing. And I wasn't faking it and trying to wing it. I just wanted to be... Legit. 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 And I think that comes with age and experience and worrying about really being what you say you are. So your first real gig, your first paid gig was what? Clinique. Clinique. So like a huge brand. Huge brand in 2013. Yes. And where was that event? It was, there's these gardens overlooking the Rockefeller Center. You know, they're up on top of those buildings. Um, they sort of look onto Saks over Fifth Avenue. Those, okay. You know, the, I can't remember. It's got a name. It's a party space. It's very fancy. And they'd taken it over and they were launching a moisturizer. So how did you feel that night? I felt like I could not believe that I had this job doing something that I actually really loved. And I was so happy. And they were paying you for and it. And I was being paid. Paid to have fun. Paid to have fun and paid to do what I did when I was a teenager that was sort of a phase. And then it came back again. What's so amazing is I'm sure when you were in college, you would have never considered no. that this is a career. No, because, you know, I think you can relate to this is, you know, in my younger years, I mean, I was definitely wild and naughty and all the rest of it. But DJ sounded sort of low and it didn't sound like you had any form of that intelligence or... I don't know. It just wasn't on the list of boxes to check of what you want to do when you grow up. I mean, I almost would rather say I would have done nothing than DJ. <laughs> DJ decided. You're like, I'd rather die. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm being a bitch about it. But I, I you know. But back then, I get it. Circa 1987, being from Palm Beach, Florida, New York. Hi, I'm going to grow up and be a DJ. Sounds a bit odd. Yeah, your parents maybe would have been like. I what? mean, I have really super cool parents that so they would have been like, amazing. We're behind you. They are the biggest cheerleaders. I have abnormally supportive, amazing parents. But maybe their friends would have been like, your daughter daughter is a DJ. But they don't care anyway. But I think I would have cared. 
In 2013, I did not care. I was like, I'm doing what I want to do for me. And what I realized is everyone was happy for me. And everyone was rooting for me. So it was a oh. great. And, you know, my friends, my family, people who didn't even know me. It was a great feeling to have this surge of support. No, it's, well, listen, you deserve it because you have supported a lot of people throughout their careers. That's not by accident. You've made an incredible reputation as a friend and a great listener. And, you know, it it all comes back around. And I you, think- You're absolutely right about that. I think it's not an accident at all. And, and in fact, you know, this job of yours, this career now, you are essentially in the business of making people happy. Yes. And it makes me happy making them happy. Which is so incredible. Yeah. And it sounds so cheesy when I say it out loud, even now I'm like, oh God. It's not I'm cheesy. Happy and it makes me happy. But it's true. And it really happened. No, it's great. And I'm sure when you come home at the end of the night, you just feel like totally invigorated. I mean, I can be exhausted and my feet hurt and my ears are throbbing and I'm smiling ear to ear and I'm like, I just had the best time. I love how, from a fashion perspective, because you do have incredible taste. <laughs> oh, my God. I love how, you know, when you think about a DJ, typical DJ, it's like streetwear and like you are like Oscar de la Renta. Like, I'm full on. You're full on. You're just Marjorie. Just yeah. Regular Marjorie, but with the headset. Yes. And, the, and, I think and your that, jewels. Yes. Which is me as well. <laughs> totally. <laughs> what was funny is I didn't come up with these costumes as you would think. This was just me being myself, like going out to a party, but I'm actually working at the party. But what's really interesting, especially from my perspective as a marketer, like your brand is very, very well defined. And you have created this sort of new view of what it is to be a DJ. And I wasn't even trying. I mean, I, I have done many things in my life where I was trying and I was pre-thinking things and trying to do it for this reason and make it this and carve it out like this. This was a complete fluke. I mean, but that's yeah. like the best way for things to happen. Yeah. So what's your go-to song to start a party? Like if you walk into a gig. Yes. I am sure you assess. You Always. I'm, at, I'm a crowd reader. So you look at a crowd and you're like, oh God, this is going to well, be Well, I think that one of the reasons why, you know, I'm lucky enough to have had this job now going into seven years is people say, oh, what's your playlist? I'm like, playlist? I don't have a playlist. I'm like, I've got to see what's going on. Yeah. I just go raw. It really depends on the age group. But I mean, there are certain songs that you can play that everybody will dance to no matter their age. So, I mean, if I'm in Houston, Newport, Rhode Island, Palm Beach, Aspen, places like that, Philadelphia, um, old school New York. If you play any Earth, Wind, and Fire song, they will dance immediately. If you play ABBA Dancing Queen, young, old, everyone will dance. Um, Shaka Khan, everybody will dance. And then if you go into like a Madonna holiday, something that even kids know the words. I'm in shock. They even know Whitney Houston. I think basically making people listen to songs that they know the words to makes them want to dance. I have to say, even when I go to an event, if they're playing songs, I don't know the words. No, no interest. You want to go home. I want to go home. And yeah. especially if you go to, God forbid, you go to a concert and they try out their new songs. No, no. Play the hits, please. <laughs> totally. Yep. Not interested in your new songs. I will tell you, though, I am a little worried. And I think there should be some sort of like orientation or some sort of starter kit for kids to know the basics. Because yeah. the other day we were driving and my daughter, Sabrina, is 11, and I was flipping through the channels on Sirius, and she was like, oh, that's olden days music. And I'm like, this is Madonna. This is right. not olden days music. And she said, who is that? And that's when I was like, okay, that's a problem. Well, no, because she would 
your daughter would know that a neutral is a red nail because you've trained her. <laughs> um, my son, Cyrus, who's 14, who's very present in my life, has been brainwashed from early age that 80s music is the norm. I mean, he does listen to like SoundCloud rap on his own choice of music. But he does know. I mean, he could sing along to sort of a flock of seagulls or, you know, Bananarama. He knows all this because I have, those are his nursery rhymes. You know, we skipped those songs. So as a parent, your your loves get instilled in them. So listen, your daughter is going to rock a red nail on a red lip. She's going to. Mine knows the words to 80 songs. I think I need to do a better job on music because that was upsetting to me because it's like, Well, that was probably like us as kids when our parents would put on. I mean, my parents loved disco, thank God. But then they would do a little bit of, I don't know, the Eagles or something. like. And that's what I thought was olden days music. That's so funny. Yeah. What's your dream gig? Like, who would you love to DJ for? Oh, I think it would be so amazing to DJ for William and Kate or Harry and Meghan. I think that would be amazing. (laughs) Just, you know, small goals. Oh, you should have goals. Always. You never know. Oh, me. Put it out there. Put, Put it out, out there, there in the world. That's why I'm People. asking you. Yep. Everyone listening, if you yep. can make that happen. I know songs that they would dance to. I think And you. I won't embarrass them and I'll dress properly and I'll be on time. You always dress properly. I know. Well, that's part of, that's what they're going to get. That's why I'd be the right fit. You're like perfect for the royal family. And I grew up in England. I know all those English songs. It's <laughs> amazing. And I'm a huge fan of their Lady Di, obviously. So you're single mom, as we discussed before. Yes. And you're super close with your son. Yes. And I would imagine you have to travel quite a bit. Yes, I do travel. Ever experienced mom guilt or are you just doing your thing? And how do you sort of manage the parent side and also pursuing your dream? Well, I think that, you know, as a divorced woman, you have guilt regardless. I mean, it just comes with the territory. And I'd sort of worked through that by the time I'd become a DJ. Mm -hmm. So I was ahead of that feeling. And I think my son was old enough to know that I was doing what made me happy. And it was my job. And I'm like, actually, when I I mean, it sounds like I'm going so far away, but it's usually three days maximum. But it's not as often as social media might lead you to believe. (laughs) Um, But he's older. There's FaceTime. He has a social life. Yep. I know. See you on Monday. Love you. Yeah. The guilt is less. That's great. I think when he was littler, I would have felt much worse. But I'm a parent that if he's happy and no news is good news, and off with his friends or, you know, if it was... He was at home, where are you? Where are you? What they do when you're little and you even go out for dinner. You know, as they get older, they don't, they're like, who? You know? He must be really proud that you're he this is, amazing and so DJ. Nice. I mean, I think he'd rather die than have me DJ one of his parties, like a birthday. I mean, when he just had a 14th birthday and everyone was like, are you DJing? I'm like, no, I'm his mother. I'm like, he has specific music that he likes. And there's not, me up there as his mother would not be his number one choice. So he's thrilled and proud of me but at the same time like I would not be his go-to which is fine and appropriate but meanwhile you could have totally done it and you would have just taken his playlist correct I could have winged it but I honestly I don't think that I'm the right fit for people to hire me to play for teenager parties I think that having their mom's friend up there is not the right well maybe if they don't know you though maybe let's not rule out that whole market Okay, let's you know, right get those coins. Call you know, me up. I mean, you know, I was at a bat mitzvah Saturday night as an example. Yes. And the DJ was great. I have no idea who it was. But let me tell you something. It makes a huge difference. And that's a whole market. No, it's you're right. But I know from my son when he's gone to bar and bat mitzvahs, 
it's either the parents are happy or the kids are happy. It's never both. That's so funny. Well, in this case, I wonder if that's true. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was very happy. I would have to ask my kids if they were happy. Right. Sabrina doesn't dance anyway. My kids don't dance. They just stand there. So. Okay. Yes. So speaking of, you mentioned social media before. How does social media play a role in sort of building the DJ Mad Marge brand? I am not strategic. I don't have a plan on social media. I'm just myself. So, um, you know, whether I'm doing videos of my dad being cheap, not putting on the pool heater in Florida, or people love to know that you're human. Of and course. so I show a lot of that. And then I can also show myself glammed out going to work. But, I, you know, there's no one doing it for me. I do have people sometimes that come up to me on the street. There was a lady about a year ago who worked at Lennox Hill Radiology, and she, I was going, like, I had a dirty ponytail. I was walking down the street, and she said, are you DJ Marge? And I was like, yes. And she's like, um, I follow you on Instagram. And anyway, we I hugged her. I mean, I couldn't believe. I'm like, I can't believe I live with some disgusting, filthy mess right now. <laughs> anyway, and she just came to Marge Madness on Friday. Oh, that's like, amazing. Yeah. So I think that... I mean, I get a lot of jobs through Instagram, which is great. That's great. Um, I went to Finland last year for this beautiful girl's 40th birthday party. I mean, yeah, I went to Helsinki, Finland. And I was having dinner with her and her husband the night before. And I asked how, you know, I said, how on earth did you find me? And she'd said that she'd read a Vanity Fair article when I first started and then kept following me all the way through on Instagram. And I'm like, wow, the power of... The connection that you don't even know about is great. It's amazing. Yes. And I think if I was just putting a picture of a rose every day and like some, you know. That's me, so not you though. No. So not you. Do you ever tweet? I stopped tweeting. I'm, I'm really bad at it now. Isn't do you, it do you still tweet? I do. I still like it. You're the original tweeter. No, you know, it's just like I'm a fan of the written word. You know, for me, taking a picture is such... It's just so much work. So I do it every once in a blue moon. I mean, yeah. Instagram stories is way easier. Well, one thing about Twitter and is how you and I became friends is you actually really understand someone's personality. And through the written word, you can see if they're funny or self-deprecating or things that you would like. Whereas a photo, I mean, sometimes you can be like, I'm really, if I look at another China plate, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I like something catches me in that front and that my page, you know, that I'm half batch it and um, my family are kooky and I have a son and you you get a taste of me as a person as well as being a DJ so it isn't like just like some staged photo oh no totally page of headphones so many people are so staged yeah mine's not and so fabric mine's probably not what you're supposed to do but mine's no yours is great mine's personal yours is great you know you're being authentic you're being your authentic self and that's exactly what yes and that's how I got where I am as corny as it sounds was being my authentic self yeah 100 percent. i think that is the key to everything so what advice would you give someone who's dreaming about making a career change drastic career change because i feel like yours was drastic and is like so scared of failing or doesn't even know how to even couch the conversation with friends or family or maybe you know from a financial perspective, it just seems so scary to like drop something to pick up something and what if the new thing doesn't work out? Like, what would you recommend someone do? What's the first step? Listen, I think everybody's different and it's hard to be general, but I can speak from my own experience. And I think number one, you have to be in a place where you don't care if it fails because it might fail. Give it a whirl. Maybe be financially responsible while you're doing that, you know, if, if you've got three kids to feed and you're the primary breadwinner, 
maybe leaping off the deep end without some backup isn't the number one idea. I am a unicorn in this situation because I was dared to do something that I did when I was 18 years old. And it brought back all these feelings and I loved what I did. And then I had been, like you said, a really good friend to my friends for 20 something years. I had showed up because I wanted to and they were there for me. And it all came back full circle when this thing happened and I turned into my former self again. So I think the advice I can give, it's don't be scared. Give it a try, but be responsible. Okay. I think the other thing is be courteous and responsible and honor your word and your reputation your entire life, your entire grown-up life. Like we all do and say things that we regret. If you don't look back and go, oh my God, what was I doing? Then you haven't grown. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you don't want to be that person like Marjorie never does what she says. Oh my God, it's lunch. She's always 45 minutes late. All of those things, funnily enough, I think are what helped me have this career now because the people that I had been friends with for all those years were like, this is amazing. And then they wanted to help me going forward. So plant seeds, meaningful seeds, I think is a very good tool for life in general. And try and be as authentic as you think you are. You know, don't be phony. No one wants a phony. No one wants a phony. You know what? You hit the nail on the head. And I think that one of the things I notice people do a lot is everyone wants to be like a super networker, right? Yeah. So a lot of times I find people will be like, oh, I'll make that intro for you. And then it's like tumbleweed. It's like they just disappear. And I'm always someone who's very conscious of, if I say I'm going to introduce you to someone, it is literally one second later that I do it. And I think your network, you know, you are only as powerful as your network. And, you know, I always say that your reputation, you know, people always say like, oh, your reputation follows you. It's like, no, it gets there before you do. Because in our circles, it travels fast and furious. And if you burn bridges or you are a constant taker and never a giver. Or take yourself too seriously. Not attractive. Not attractive. Not attractive. And things don't just fall out of the sky. So, you know, there's jealous people, naysayers. Oh, you're so easy for you. No, actually, you know, I moved to New York when I was 25 years old. I went to the opening of an envelope. If it's a rainy night and it's a good friend who's been there for me, I get up. I'm not in the mood. I do it. You know, you have to pay it forward. I agree. If you want people to support you and be there for you, and you might not think you want that, but guess what? You do. Mm-hmm. Then you need to be the same back. I totally agree. I mean, do you remember you and I taking an Uber for the first time at like a breast cancer dinner? You know, I mean, like yes. we have memories. Yes. Memories are what makes friendships. Friendships are what make you want to root for the other person. And all of that is your behavior and your attitude and whatever it is. And being some phony, you know, just you can't be selfish either. It's being sincere. It's being sincere. a real person, being yes. sincere. Oh, my God. You just that night. Oh, my God. I know. Remember, we were like, funny. Uber, what's that? Uber, what's that? Yep. Yep. <laughs> So now look. funny how time has flown. Meanwhile, I Uber, I own part of the company at this point. For the I know. Of Ubers I've we taken. didn't even have Uber X then. There was only like Escalades. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how new it was. <laughs> oh my God. How sad I for know. us. I want you to know people listening to this. I roll in a Camry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've been rolling on the subway lately. Yeah, exactly. In my new MTA. Munchie, MTA. I mean, how foolish are we? Why weren't we taking the MTA for the last 20 years? I think there's about 100 reasons we weren't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Marjorie, what are you most excited about for your next like, you know, do you think about sort of evolving it? Do you think about brand extensions? Or are you just happy where you are right now? And you're just grateful and you're just doing your thing? I mean, part one, I'm grateful and I'm happy and I'm doing my thing. Obviously, I think is there any way to naturally and authentically extend it, but I would never want it not to be the same as what I'm doing now, which has me in it. So I've actually started doing some music programming for stores, which is great. Brilliant. Yes. So that was something that I started about a year ago. And I have two quite large clients with that, which is great. So music, but I've curated the music. Well, I was going to say, Store music is yeah. so important and yes. most of it is so bad. Yes. Well, it's very complicated that there has to be all these like licensing issues and, you know, but I work with a company that does all that part and then it goes into like a box and then you have like employees that don't want to hear that song again. They have to hit thumbs down. I mean, there's so many moving parts, but that was something that I thought was a natural. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. So good. So what's going to be written on your tombstone? How are you going to leave your mark? What's like the Marjorie? I could just picture, I I picture an English garden around the tombstone and I picture just something like fabulous. I think it should be something about being happy or I don't know, but I'll just say at my boarding school in our yearbook, senior year, I mean, the people's quotes on their page with their picture was sort of like poetry and Cat Stevens and long roads and this and that. And mine was this quote. I don't even know how I knew to put this. And I looked, it was 1987 and it said, I love the nightlife. I've got to boogie. That was all it said. Oh, that's, I have chills. That was my senior year quote on my page by the singer, disco singer, Alicia Bridges. Isn't that ironic? I mean, and now look where we are. fate. Yes, it's fate. I love the nightlife. I've got to boogie. I mean, there we go. I have actual chills. That could also go on my tombstone. I'm not ruling that out. But that just said that all of it was kind of there. You know, you just had to rediscover the passion. Yes. And not be afraid. I'm like, who cares? I think I was more worried about what people thought than people. People were like, woo, go march. Totally. But I think that's a great lesson because, you know, especially in the age of social media where you're watching everyone do everything and people are so judgmental. And I mean, from behind the keyboard, people will say anything. I mean, the comment section on any single website, on any single Instagram. I mean, if God forbid you read them, I mean, forget it. Haters. Haters all over the place. Well, my friend Simon, Simon Hutt, who's obviously like my family, he's like, if you have haters, you've really made it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm perfect. It's true. It's yeah. true. But, you know, even though that is totally true. No, but I mean, on, I feel sorry for the young kids today, to be honest, because they think everything has to be perfect. I agree. And we didn't have that. We were allowed to sort of mess up and no one looked and we could be kids and everything's moving so quickly now. So there's a side of that that I'm glad that I'm on the other side of that and older. But it, it is definitely, I mean, it, it's still hurtful to yes. read it, even if you, no, people you're can older. Be mean. People can be totally mean. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, just a quick anecdote. One night I was in bed with Sabrina, you know, saying goodnight. And and um, she's like, I want to be an actress when I grow up. And I was like, you don't, you won't even be in a school play. Like, how are you going to be an actress? And she's like, well, their lives are so perfect. And I'm like, yeah. what makes you think that? And she's like, well, Instagram. And I was like, oh, no, 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 right. no, 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 no. And she pointed to this one Disney star who's like beautiful and of course like in a show and da, da, da. And she's like, look at her life. She's perfect. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 honey. She'll be in like rehab of 16, like plastic surgeries. No, I know. But it's hard as a mom. I mean, you understand that. And 
I see that now with a, just even with the body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. you know, with noses, lips, boobs, skinny, fat, whatever. It's, and I mean, everyone's saying that there's all this positivity. That's a lie. I mean, there might be one side, but it, the kids are hard on themselves because they, they think everything's personal Very. And, and like perfect. So I did what any self-respecting publicist would do. I called her publicist oh. and I said, can you have her make a video for Sabrina? And tell her that she's, like, normal and gets pimples and, like, has bad days. And and she did it. I said, I promise you she won't post it, but can you just do it? Yes. Well, that's also because you have had (laughs) – you have a network that you actually knew who the publicist was and they would answer you (laughs) and make you that video. That's not normal. But but it was good for her to know. It was. Because it scared me. That everyone isn't living happily ever after. It scared me because I was like, wow. Because, she, you know, when they're growing up in that, they don't know any other way. No. And they also think that – you don't have to actually put on all this work to get to that. That's another thing. Yeah, you're so There's right. There's all this groundwork that has to be done. Yep, you're so right. You don't right. have to arrive on the top. <laughs> you don't arrive on the top. I mean, I was, I remember my, after my freshman year of college, I was staying with my mom in Newport, Rhode Island. I thought I was going to be like sleeping, going out with my friends. And I'm like, oh, hey. And she's like, your job starts tomorrow. I'm like, job? Wait, what do you job, mean? Job, mom. And there was a, a restaurant in town called the Clark Cook House that we all would go to. And she's like, you're a waitress in the Boom Boom Room, not to be mistaken with the glamorous New York Boom Boom Room. This is like a basement situation. And your job starts tomorrow. And literally, I had to carry the tray of drinks like up in the air with my hand through the crowd. That was my summer job. I had this like illusions of grandeur that I was going to be, you know, I love sleeping. Your mom. And, and, yeah, she was like, job starts tomorrow, March. I'm like, thanks, mom. Your Great. mom is epic, though. Your, your mom, mom is, is on yeah. another level of epic. I mean, she's also the person that when I had to go to college, I was like, mom, college is tomorrow. Are you ready? And she's like, ready? You've been to boarding school. You have a car. Get the map out. And, and I went by myself. <laughs> And now you see these parents hiring decorators doing this, doing the rooms. My mother was like, bye, get yourself there. No I news, love her. News. Yeah. I love her. So will you take Cyrus to college? I actually will. Oh, you're such a good mom. I know. It's not a good mom. It's, we're different now. I mean, we're all, it's like, you know, people would put their kids back in the womb now. It's almost not normal. <laughs> So amazing. Marjorie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me and good friends. It's nice to be doing this with you. And this is your new thing. I'm thrilled for your podcast. Thanks, Marjorie. Leave your mark. I adore you. Likewise. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at AlizaLichtXO or reach out on Twitter at AlizaLicht. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.